the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Over the last few broadcasts, we have been focusing our attention on Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 14. And we've been looking at the theological position or the stance of it all. Today, we begin looking at the practical side. Join us. Welcome to Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner, the ministry of Reformed Heritage Church here in San Jose. Today we are back in Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 14. Now we've seen the position that we've been in, alive to God. Well, the Apostle Paul will now turn our attention to the practical side of it. Consider yourselves alive to God. There's a part that we play in this now as well. For the details, here's Pastor Gary Wagner. Last week we were told to consider ourselves dead to sin. This week we are going to consider ourselves alive to God. Death is all around us. The elderly die, the young die. Sometimes death comes after a long disease. Sometimes it comes unexpectedly, suddenly. And it is never convenient. Co-workers die. Long-time childhood friends die. Looking beyond people, nations die. Economies die. Corporations die. Fads and fashions die. All kinds of neat things that are the rage today are ten for a dollar at Goodwill tomorrow. Just trash. Nothing seems to last anywhere around us. So when we read in verse 11 that we are to think of ourselves as being alive to God, it seems like a fairy tale. Alive to God. We are like blind men. All we have ever known is darkness. So after a while, you start denying there is such a thing as light because we are so used to the dark. And that is what we know. So we have to forgive, forsake our fallen sight, do we not? We have to forsake our fallen sense and we have to consider Christ and who we are in him, as Paul tells us here in verse 11. We've got to put more stock in his death to sin and his life to righteousness. In his being alive to God, we have to put more stock in that than we do in anything we see with our eyes and with our own experience. Our Savior lives at God's right hand, and he lives to share the blessings, the grace, the fellowship, the friendship, the communion, the power, and the life. He lives and reigns to share these things with us. And one of the reasons we have so much trouble with a verse like verse 11 And what it means to be alive to Christ 
is that so often we want this life to be on our own terms. We don't want God to invade our lives. I like my little life or my grand life and my opinion just as it is. I want no inconvenience, no struggle, everything just in a nice little box. But the problem is, this is nothing but selfishness and ingratitude. You don't complain if a dentist had to pull, dentist had to pull a tooth to take away the pain. And so we ought not complain when our Lord Jesus Christ has to cut away sin in our lives and in the lives of our family in order that we may know more of his life in us. It is that kind of selfishness and ingratitude that lost us paradise and what lost Esau his birthright. I want what I want on my terms. I don't want to have to wait. I don't want to have to struggle. I want it conveniently where there is nothing for us but death in that way of thinking. There is nothing but death for us anywhere unless we are drawn by faith to our Savior and thinking of ourselves alive in Him. Now throughout this chapter, the heart of it is being in union with Christ, union with the Lord Jesus Christ in the heart of our life. It is the source of our life. The same thing we saw last Lord's Day when we grappled with the phrase, consider yourself to be dead indeed unto sin. We have to do the same thing now. Consider ourselves. Think of ourselves. Carefully reflect on ourselves as being alive to God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Just like his death was not for himself alone, neither was his resurrection. Neither was his life. He died as our head. He died as our surety. He died as our anchor. He died as our righteousness. He died in union with us. So from him, we draw the same life that he now lives so understand at the heart of this considering or the heart of this considering is thinking of ourselves to be in covenant with our Lord Jesus Christ. He is even called in Isaiah 42, 6, our covenant. Part of our difficulty with Romans 6 also is the fact that we are covenant breakers. We run. We hide from God like Israel at Mount Sinai. I don't want any reminders of my lost, condemned condition. It's difficult to think and live in terms of covenant that life is not about my little isolated experience. For I have a head. He died on the cross. He rose from the dead. He lives in power and reigns in glory at the right hand of the Father to bring these blessings to us as long as we don't think of covenant i just want to be off by myself that's how we will think of jesus isolated from us oh he may be a moral teacher i even may be sentimentally drawn to him in some way but there's no living dynamic of faith no beloved 
He's my life. That's my savior at the right hand of God. I may be weak, but he is strong. I may still be living in the veil of tears and waiting, but he has gone before me into the presence of God as the forerunner, the one who goes ahead and secures a place for me. Beloved, we need to think of ourselves as having no other life but that which our Lord Jesus Christ has obtained for us and is securing for us now in heaven at the right hand of the Father. You know, he wanted us so much to think in terms of this union with him that he gave upon his departure a gift, the Holy Spirit, who unlike him, now incarnate, can be omnipresent. And this Holy Spirit, Paul calls him in Ephesians 1, the down payment of our inheritance, the seal of our union. The Lord Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit are so closely identified that in 1 Corinthians 3.17, Paul can write, The Lord is the Spirit. Not because there is a personal confusion between the two, but because there is a unity of work and of presence and of power. The Holy Spirit takes what the Lord, our Lord Jesus did 2,000 years ago and makes it alive and powerful and changes our lives. Why am I so excited about this? Why do you go through seasons of excitement in your life when you read things like this in Scripture? I mean, these things are, they all happened a long time ago. I myself don't get chills down my spine when I read about George Washington crossing the Delaware River. Now, it was a great thing, and it was a marvelous providence, but it didn't change my life. But when I hear about the Son of God crucified, raised in glory, everything changes. It's not just little tingles down the spine. But there is a sense in my heart and in my life that this is my life. No matter what I see, no matter how dark the things are that God is pleased to bring into the lives of his people, I have a savior. He is personal and he is powerful and he's always working and he's always loving. And who teaches us that? The Holy Spirit, who is the bond of the union between Christ and us. So let us think today, tomorrow, and throughout the week more warmly, more adoringly, more believingly, more prayerfully on what our Savior has done for us and is doing for us. So we will delight in Him more. And in delighting in Him more, we will seek Him more. And seeking him, we shall be changed into the image of our Savior by the Holy Spirit, as Paul teaches us in 2 Corinthians 3.18. So come today to your life as we talk about how we are to think of ourselves as being alive to God. Let me encourage you. Whatever you're going through, no one who came to the Lord Jesus humbly seeking cleansing, seeking sight, seeking help. He never turned them away. He says, come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I want to remind you today of five things that it means to be alive to God. 
And do not think that these five things are at all exhaustive. Because I am a novice, and I can, do, I can only do my best is to grapple with this little bit of baby food I'm able to get from Scripture. But it is my prayer that these five things encourage each one of you as they have me. Look back at chapter 5, verse 21. I think to be alive to God is another way of saying Grace reigns through righteousness unto eternal life. In other words, first first grace reigns in us. It is totally the opposite of the way it was before when sin and death dominated our relationship to God, which doesn't any longer. There has been a fundamental change. Look at Ephesians 1.19, a fundamental change here. Do you know that if you are a believer today, and I don't say if to question whether you are or not, I just say if you are a believer, you've already gone through a resurrection. Ephesians 1.19. What is the exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe according to the work of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his right hand in the heavenly places? Notice the same thing has been done in us. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead has raised us from the dead, as we see in our text. What is the concrete meaning of that? We are no longer alienated from God. We're no longer enemies of God. We're no longer enslaved to the lust of our flesh. In fact, look at Ephesians 2, 5, and 6. Even when we were dead in sin, hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace you are saved. And hath raised us up together, and made us sit together in the heavenly places. So if you are a believer, you are already sitting on a throne. Everything about you has changed, because Jesus has been raised from the dead. And remember, this is a positional, this is a covenant we are united to him he reigns at the right hand of the father and so do you because that is where our head is do you know the number one place we reign but few of us take active advantage of it as we should we are a kingdom of priests so when we meet together and pray god's promises When you pray individually, when you pray with your families, husbands, never more on earth are we more raised up in functioning and joining with Christ as our head. In prayer, we are never closer to Christ and more joined into his great work of intercession. Never more raised with him, seated with him than when we are in prayer. Because we have gone through a great renovation in Christ. And we are seated with him. And he loves our prayers. Now granted, the full glory of our new life is yet future. It does not yet appear what we shall be, John said. Jesus says today to his whole church, by faith see this. He looks, says he, look at me. I am the one who was dead. 
Now I'm alive forevermore. Behold, I am making all things new. The old way of life is done. The old alienation, the old separation is finished. I'm making all things new. He says, look at me. You see, beloved, we are alive because Jesus is alive. That's the only reason. Yes, our experience lags behind the reality that is a given. And the body of this death, as Paul talks about, drags at this new life. There is no doubt about that either. But our Savior is alive to God. So we are alive to God, and that is where our affections, our thoughts, our prayers, our hopes, and our faith must rest. We can't doubt this new life because it is not yet perfected in us. Because that is to doubt Christ's sufficiency and his reality. And it is also to say, well, because it's not perfect in me, I won't believe it. No, we look to Christ, not to ourselves. And we rob ourselves of his unsearchable riches when we forget this new life that we have because of him. That everything has changed and grace now reigns in us through righteousness. Which leads us secondly to a very similar idea but a very important nuance. We have a new relationship to God. We were once dead, estranged, running, hating him. Like Adam and Eve, we heard his voice in the garden and let's get out of here. Let's run away from God. There is nothing comforting to us in Adam and Eve after we sinned about having God near to us or hearing his word, nothing. We didn't want any unpleasant reminders. We hated the light because it exposed us. But Jesus has made peace. In fact, he is our peace. We see in Ephesians 2.14. We don't have to fear the light. We are open and exposed before God. But that's okay, brethren. Because Jesus has borne all of our curse. He has satisfied God's justice. He has made full atonement for all of our sins. And there is no longer any charges against us. If you are in Jesus, God does not lay a single charge against you. If you are clinging to Christ and hoping in him, your past may have been black, black, black. But Jesus says you are now white, white, white in his righteous robes. You know what God says to us? The holy, holy God says, come to me. I I want to hear your prayers. I want you to depend on my strength. My throne is open to you all the time. You lack wisdom, I don't. You're weak, I'm not. Your heart's cold and lifeless, I'm alive and my son is alive forevermore. You come to me through him. Beloved, when we come, for example, to meet and worship... We don't come and try to propitiate an offended deity. You know, let me see and and say some words to God that will 
make my life maybe a little better. Let me look for an elusive feeling of God. No, we come to enjoy a promised closeness because we are alive to God in Christ. Not our lingering sin, but Christ's life defines our existence. He has opened heaven for us. He is gone within the veil, and in Him we can draw near to God and anticipate His blessings. Never, never for a moment are we to think of God as far away or disinterested, unfriendly, or unwilling to help us. We are to think of Him as near, open, friendly, our very life looking at us as we are not in ourselves any longer, but as we are now in Christ, alive to God, righteous. Turn with me to Romans 8, verse 22. When we begin to realize how much God has loved us in the Lord Jesus Christ, I mean, that is the greatest thing He could give us, right? His own Son crucified for us. Then we have a promise like this for our children for our jobs, for our families, for our marriages, for our communities. Romans 8, 32. He that spared not his son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall we not with him also freely give us all things? You see, the apostle says here, God has already given you his son, and I'm going to give you everything else. What analogy can we come up with for this? Well, when I was a young man, my dad said, here's a lawnmower. And he put gas in the mower so I could make money cutting grass for the neighbors. Of course, the rest of the gas I had to pay for. And that was no big deal because my father provided the big thing. Men, you provide a home for your family, right? giving them a cookie and milk before they go to bed, you don't think about that, do you? You already gave them the big thing. The grand reality of this is that now that we are saved, our God will give us everything else we need according to His riches in glory. Everything for life and godliness because He's already given us His Son. So He says, trust me. The third thing we need to remember about being alive to God is that because grace now reigns in us, because we have a new relationship with God, He watches over us with special care. Now, you know all men, even unbelievers, like to think that the big man upstairs is watching over them. But that is a blasphemous idea. Because there is no big man upstairs. No, there is a holy, holy, holy God. Now granted, God does send his rain and sunshine even upon unbelievers. But as Asaph said in Psalm 73, that this is only a fattening up for judgment. Because unbelievers do not respond to God's witness to his goodness with faith and repentance. But listen. What does it mean for unbelievers to be alive to God? I can't think of a better verse than Romans 8, 28, which I'm sure most of you know by heart, which says, 
And we know that all things work together for good to those that love God, to those who are called, the called according to his purpose. Do you love God today? And that'll bring us to the end of our time today here on Abounding Grace with our teacher and pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. Thank you for joining us today. It's our hope and prayer that we've been able to encourage you in Christ and stimulate your walk in him. To address questions, comments, prayer requests, or concerns, please call or write to us. We'd love to talk with you. 408-866-5607 is our phone number, 408 408- Eight six six five six zero seven. You're also welcome to visit our website. Drop us an email when you do. Reformedheritage.org. Real simple. Reformedheritage.org. A lot of information there about who we are. We would invite you again to stop by. Reformedheritage.org. Or if you're writing to us, the address is PMB Post Mailbox four zero two, and the address is fourteen eighty four Pollard Road. Los Gatos, California, 95032. That address can be found on our website, reformedheritage.org, or again, simply call 408-866-5607. Copies of today's program are just $5. Mention today's date, and we'll get a CD out to you. And please remember that we are listener-supported which means when you link arms with us financially, we're able to continue the ministry here on this station. It's a great way to study God's Word together, isn't it? And we'd love to continue to do so. Would you prayerfully consider how God might be leading you to partner with us? We'd love to hear from you. Again, won't you call 408-866-5607 or reformedheritage.org. Sunday services, by the way, if you'd like to join us, are 2 in the afternoon. We're located at Lone Hill Church, 5055 Lone Hill Road in Los Gatos. Directions can be found at our website, reformedheritage.org. Again, Sunday services are at 2 p.m. Further information can be found again at reformedheritage.org or by calling 408-866-5607. Thank you for joining us. Until next time, God bless. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.